Indeed, the text is from Ephesians 5.32, but that we might greater, have greater appreciation for the full sweep of the thought of the Holy Spirit, let's back up to Ephesians verse 5, verse 13, and we'll read through 6, verse 9. Follow along if you, if you would like to in your copy of the Word as we read from this epistle beginning at verse 6. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality, with him. Let's pray. 
Our gracious, good, all-wise and merciful Father, how wonderful and how profound are the truths revealed in the words of Scripture. As we come to this passage, we acknowledge there is more here than our minds can adequately and rightly comprehend. We ask, therefore, that you would grant your Holy Spirit to illuminate and apply that which you would have us to see and understand this day. Make our hearts tender and receptive to your truths and grow us in our capacity to comprehend this great mystery. For we pray in Christ's perfect and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So, October 5th, Kyle and Mariah... And I wasn't really keeping up with the schedule, but Trey and Tiffany are on their way back, married October 20th, and here it is, the 28th. And indeed, Marion shared the thinking that went behind the selection of this passage. And as I looked into it, I I admit I got a little more excited. I felt a little more inadequate to the task, and yet, here is this glorious text. So, Isn't this wonderful? A wonderful time of year. The Lord has blessed us with beautiful marriages, a lot of marriages for a little country church, even even granted us beautiful weather for for the wedding itself and the reception. So we're thankful for that. So as we turn once again to this very familiar passage, a passage that has been used in the context of wedding ceremonies for the century, through the centuries, and even we enjoyed a couple of great homilies these last few weeks, let us look in particular at the great mystery that Paul, through the the Holy Spirit, reveals to us in verse 32. The first question we might ask is, is, what is a mystery? How is the term mystery used elsewhere in Scripture? So as we broaden our, our scope here and look for other occurrences of mystery, we turn to 1 Timothy 3.16, where we read, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Our faith, once delivered, our common salvation, you see, is a mystery. Not that it is something that we can't understand, at least in part, for it has been revealed to us in Christ. It is something that natural reason doesn't lead us to see, and it is that which philosophy cannot intuit. Looking to other uses of mystery, we turn to Matthew 13, beginning at verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Likewise, in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 9, we read, And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said unto you, It is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and in hearing they might not understand. 
In another example in Colossians 1, Paul declares, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which faith, even the mysteries which hath been hid from ages and from generations, and is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of the the riches of the glory of, his, of this among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you to the hope of glory. All right, so from these passages, we begin to see that mysteries are those truths, those doctrines, those realities, which God has been progressively revealing throughout history and to his chosen people and are now made more fully known in Christ. We can also say that these mysteries are that which the prophets spoke of and to which the types and shadows were pointing. For example, if we look at Isaiah 9-6 and we read that familiar passage, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that. But if we go back to what we just read in 1 Timothy 3.16, we see much more clearly that in Christ, God was indeed manifested in the flesh, quite literally. This mystery has been revealed in a much greater extent. Simultaneously, a mystery is that which is revealed, and we might say the curtains have been pulled back as we peer into this. While we know the fact that God was manifested in the flesh. There remains a mystery in the midst of this. We, in our human minds, can't quite work out how this truly is. The incarnation still contains an element of mystery, known only to the mind of God himself. So we need to be satisfied that these mysteries exist, while at the same time, learning from them, looking into them, further studying them. Knowing now how the mysteries, at least a few examples, how these mysteries of the faith are used in other parts of Scripture, this should help us to peer more closely into the glories of this particular great mystery that the Holy Spirit has revealed through this beautiful, this rich, this glorious epistle to the Ephesian church, which tells us much about the church in its doctrine. There are many ways we might begin this exploration, but I would like for us to start with verses 30 through 32 of our chapter here in Ephesians 5. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Here Paul takes us all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 2. We know the story. Perhaps we know it a bit too well that we might fail to consider everything that's going on here. The Lord causes a deep sleep to fall over Adam and he forms Eve out of the side of Adam and then the Lord brings Eve to Adam and presents her to him. And Adam declares... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. How wonderful. How beautiful. As we read this account of the first wedding, we are to celebrate and remember this. We are to see a pattern that has been established by the Lord Himself. But even as we ponder this scene here, we should be curious why the Lord created Eve in the first place. You've heard preaching on this. You've heard teaching on this. And it's because the Lord said it is not good that man should be alone. Man was never intended to be an isolated, independent creature. Never intended. Lord, the Lord makes His covenant with a people. We are a people. We're not little individual capsules. We need to, we need to understand that. And we, and we can even see this as we look into the Trinity, can we not? We see God as a society. Three persons, but one God. Perfectly complementary in the roles of the persons of the Godhead. Perfect unity in their one essence. We can also see this in the covenant of redemption. If you're not familiar with the covenant of redemption, perhaps we need to define that. It may be defined as that eternal agreement within the members of the Godhead in which the Father appointed the Son to become incarnate, to suffer and die and make atonement for our sin. In return, the Father promises the promises to raise Christ from the dead, to glorify Him, and to give Him the people for whom He died. Said another way, from before the foundation of the world, God the Father promises to redeem a bride for His Son from among the people He has created and in whom He has placed His image. And that is the great mystery. God's special revelation, His Word, begins with a marriage. Right there in the garden. And it ends with a marriage. We read Revelation 19 and we'll touch on it again here. Marriage is established at creation with Adam and Eve and consummated between Christ and His bride, the church, as it's revealed in Revelation. Turning now to Revelation 19, beginning at verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made her ready, herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are true sayings of God. And do we not see throughout the pages of Scripture that God is setting apart for Himself a bride? For example, in Jeremiah 3, we read, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you 
one from the city and two from a family. And I will bring you to Zion and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and with understanding. When Israel is unfaithful, unfaithful to the Lord, they are said to play the harlot, an unfaithful and treacherous wife. Continuing in Jeremiah 3, verse 20. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. In Ezekiel 16, we read of Jerusalem's adultery. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot, You erected your shrine at the head of every road and built your high places in every street. You were not like a harlot because you scorned payment. You are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. And of course, we could read the story of Hosea where the Lord commands his prophet to marry Gomer, a harlot, in order to picture Israel's unfaithfulness and to show forth the Lord's faithfulness to his covenant promises. How thankful we are. How thankful we should be that God is faithful to his covenant and that in Christ he has redeemed us to be his own bride, washed us clean in his blood so that we can be presented to the Father without spot or blemish. And that is at the heart of this great mystery. The promised bride before creation, the preparation of the bride throughout redemptive history, and the consummation at the second coming, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is a grand and a glorious plan being worked out by the Holy Spirit in our lives daily to gather and prepare the church, the bride, for Christ our husband. Since we've been given this great mystery, since it's been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit and the pages of Scripture in this particular text, In Ephesians 5, this great mystery of a man, a marriage between a man and a woman, it reveals a profound, and been told that it reveals a profound truth about Christ and the church. How then should we respond? How should we view our individual marriages? As we have the, the privilege, the burden, indeed the great joy of having this mystery revealed, we also have the privilege, the burden, and the joy of conforming our marriages into an ever more accurate and beautiful portrait of Christ and the church. Since Christ has come to redeem a bride for himself, and since marriage is woven into the fabric of creation to tell us this great story, we should therefore take not that there is embedded in the marriage of every Christian a perfect gospel message. But nonetheless, the gospel is on display there. And to the extent that our marriages are faithful and loving and edifying and rightly ordered, we proclaim a more or less true gospel message. What a glorious opportunity. What a sobering reality. And so we begin our scripture where we started, and we read, But all things 
are exposed, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Here, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 60, which reads, Arise, shine, for thy light, thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Dear married couples, and those who desire someday to be, awake. In the light of this great mystery which is now revealed, go and let the glory of the Lord be seen upon your lives and in your marriages. This is a great work of the Lord in your lives and part of his grand design. Embrace it. But how? How can I, how can you, a sinful man, a sinful woman, even begin to undertake such a task? You know the answer. Repent. There was much prayer this morning. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, the Scripture tells us. Have you been baptized? Great! Remember your baptism. Look to your baptism and repent and believe the gospel. We must do this. This task is too great to attempt in your flesh, and you will fail in your flesh. Continuing with our text now. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing, make melody in your hearts to the Lord. But we do this when we gather as the church, don't we? Yes. Do so also when you depart and when you go into the cities and when you go into your homes and when you're gathered with your wife. Give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's something hard to do. Always, in all things, but in the light of this perfect and completed atoning work of Christ, this is our sacrifice and offering before the Lord. This is our reasonable service. This is right and good to do, and to this we are called to be a thankful people, to acknowledge God's goodness in our lives. Are you discontent? 
Do you find yourself often grumbling, rarely giving thanks to Christ? This ought not to be. If so, if so, this is a sure sign that you are not in right fellowship with the Creator. Couples, do you often bicker and argue? Do you let the sun go down on your wrath? Do you hold grudges? Do you struggle to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you? And I say it is very likely that your walk with the Lord has grown cold. And your devotion to Him is characterized by avoidance and hypocrisy and guilt. And you need to know that your gospel testimony is shriveled and anemic. Before your family and before a watching world? Or, or do you find that when you do stumble in disagreements, that when you sin against one another, that repentance soon follows? Forgiveness is eagerly and joyfully given, and that joy returns quickly and early. If so, you proclaim the gospel with power and might and glory. But this is hard. It is indeed. What should we then do? Our text continues. Submit to one another in the fear of God. And it exhorts us. But be careful. This must not be done according to our natural inclinations. But as revealed to us here in our text. And throughout the text of scripture. There is an orderly and godly pattern given. As we read the remainder of the passage through chapter 6, verse 9, we see how wives are to follow this instruction, how husbands are to follow this instruction. We see a pattern for children and their parents. We see even a pattern for masters and the bondservants. But we're looking into this particular great mystery in marriage. And so we'll focus our attention on the instruction given to husbands and to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. We see the structure and order given here. There isn't a confusion of our roles, nor are we left with an untenable congregational split vote. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. In our flesh, we struggle and rebel against this order. Wives, in your flesh, you will desire your husband's authority. 
You will resist any effort on his part to lead you. You will even resist when his desire is to point you to Christ and to lead in family worship or devotions. Husbands, in your flesh, you will not love your wives sacrificially, but you will feed your own desires, abandon your calling, and thereby preach a false gospel to your family. The word continues. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The first Adam looks to Eve and declares her to be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Likewise, in the second Adam, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. A great mystery indeed. And this is a good point for us to look and see what is revealed about the church in this mystery. So how should we view the church, Christ and the church in this mystery? Since our marriages are a picture of Christ and his bride, the church, what can we glean from the order and structure of godly marriage as it pictures the church? First, the church as the bride of Christ is to submit to her head, which is Christ. Let us never forget that this is Christ's church. As we submit to his word and the instruction given therein, we submit to Christ. When we reject his word, when we fail to do all that he has commanded, we are an unfaithful bride. This is easy to see in big scope here in churches that have, have um, abandoned this principle and they have strayed far from their first love and they have abandoned the orthodox teaching of Scripture. I'm not pointing out any particular churches or denominations here, but you know what I'm speaking of. We should quickly note, however, as we are considering the picture here, that this is primarily an application of husbands failing to love their wives as we're looking at the church here. No, I do not mean that Christ can fail to love his bride. This is impossible, correct? But rather, that his particular appointed under-shepherds, that is, pastors in these cases, have failed to feed and care for their own flocks. Said another way, follow the picture, the analogy here, his appointed under-husbands, these pastors, have failed to love their own wives, that is, their particular churches and congregations. They have abandoned the duty to wash the bride in the water of the word and instead have covered her in filth and given her over to disease. When the church abandons the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, when the church dismisses the apostolic teaching, including that from Paul or 
whoever you pick, she will surely and quickly embrace an aberrant and perverse understanding of marriage. Secondly, the church embodies what is revealed in marriage for the propagation of the faith throughout the whole earth. Turning back a chapter in Ephesians to Ephesians 4, we read, and he gave himself, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into himself, who is the head, even Christ. Christ has founded his church upon the apostles and prophets and extended and built her up through evangelists and pastor teachers. Paul instructs Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. In Hebrews 13, the exhortation is given to the faithful to remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And further down in, in verse 17, we read, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable to you. Looking, therefore, at the parallels, a wife is to submit to her own husband, and a husband is to love his own wife. Therefore, a particular congregation is to submit to her particular elders, and the elders are to love and provide for a particular congregation over which they have been placed and for which they must give an account before the Lord. And when we broaden the scope and we look universally or eschatologically, the church submits to Christ alone and to no other God. And Christ loves and died for his bride and none other. Thirdly, the church manifests the covenant bond of marriage for the purity and preservation of the faithful. In marriage, vows are made before God and witnesses solemnize the union. Traditionally, wives vow to submit to their husbands and husbands vow to love and provide for their wives. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, our Lord instructs us. When we enter into membership in a particular church, there are vows not altogether unlike our wedding vows. As members, we vow to submit to our elders, to those who must give an account. And when we look to Christ and the universal church, we can be sure that our covenant-keeping God is true to His Word. The bride that our Heavenly Father has promised has been purchased by Christ. We can see this. We can see this with a measure of clarity as we look into the mystery, as we consider the covenant of, of redemption again, and we recall 
Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17. Beginning at verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me and are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All are mine. And all mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I don't know about you, but every time I read that high priestly prayer, I'm, I'm simply astounded and cast into a strange, utter joy. An utter joy that says, Oh, Father, you, by your Spirit, have chosen to preserve this prayer for us. You have shown us this, and it is so rich in glory. It is so saturated in profound doctrine and so intimate and motivated by love. Thanks be to God. So this great mystery now revealed in Christ it is rich. It's profound. It's, there's so much more we could explore here, and maybe we'll do that someday. But that'll need to wait for another time. But as I, I speak to this congregation, and as we long for that consummate feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb, let us do so in a humble joyful submission to Christ, seeking to glorify and enjoy Him according to what He has revealed about the beauty, the order, and the meaning of marriage. Equip yourselves, brothers and sisters, with the Word of God. If you're confused, seek the Holy Spirit and open the text of Scripture. There is a spiritual battle afoot, and, and the church is at the forefront. You listen to the radio, you may see the news or read the news. The battle is real, the heat is being turned up. Let's proclaim the gospel in beauty and truth in our marriages and in our lives. Let's pray. Our merciful and glorious Father in heaven, how thankful we are that you have created us for and called us unto worship. We're thankful that before the foundation of the world, you knew us and chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him in love. We're thankful that we can be confident that you will accomplish all your holy will perfectly according to your plan and desires. We rejoice in your institution of marriage and marvel at the great mystery revealed regarding Christ and the church. And so we look to you, asking that you would do a great work among us and in our marriages, 
that there the truth, beauty, and goodness of the gospel will be ever more clearly portrayed in our marriages. Wash us, O Lord, as the bride, and sanctify us by your Holy Spirit, that we may be presented to Christ without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and without blemish. And we pray this in the triumphant and victorious name of Christ our Lord and Savior.